calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Well, you know how bad I feel about this. Hey, it's eating me up a quarter cup of brandy and let it simmer. But even though it's hard, we have to end this. Yes, he's been wronged, and I personally would be ready to apologize, but I... Oh, someone put a stake in me. Hey, oh my gosh. Hey, everybody. Scared me. Sorry, I didn't mean to scare (laughs) anyone. Uh, It's us. We're here. Before we get started, we have... A whole bunch of uh, very exciting. It's just like it's going to be a real emotional roller coaster here in the cold open. It is. We have a lot to share with you. <gasps> Let's do it. <laughs> so right out of the gates, we want to let you know uh, that we will be taking a few weeks off. We're coming back hot, hot, hot into your ears with uh, something very special for I Will Remember You. You might say, oh, but Kristen and Jenny, that's not an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And to that we say... But isn't, isn't it? <laughs> so we are coming back October 3rd. We know that seems so very far away. But trust us, we have a jam-packed September for you. It's like we're taking September off from making podcast episodes, but we are not taking September off. That's correct. On September 2nd, your friend Kristen will join Angel on Top uh, for a I Will Remember You Watch. So you'll be prepared. Emo- you'll begin your emotional preparation for our return on October 3rd. Yes, it's true. Uh, I will join Brittany and Laura. Uh, and if you're a member of the Angel on Top Patreon, you know it's on the Facebook group. It's going to be really fun or it's really sad. It's going to be whatever. It'll you be know? both. We'll see. But um, you should join us. Speaking of uh, watches... Jenny and I are doing a Buffy watch on September 8th. Just a few short days later, we will be watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie. The feature length film. You have all been waiting for this, asking for this. So all of our patrons, you know where to find us on that secret Facebook page. We will be watching the movie on September 8th. Yes, yes, yes. Then on September 16th, I, your hero, Jenny Owen Youngs, will be playing a Buffering the Vampire Slayer concert streaming for anyone on Facebook Live. I'm gonna play all of your favorite songs about demon lizards and, and sold vampires and forbidden fated love and 
um, more demons. It's going to be hot. And that's just to, just to repeat, this is for everyone, that concert. You, patrons and non-patrons alike will all be able to watch that concert completely for free, uh, which is going to be really fun. And then it's not done. We're not even done. <laughs> so we're just halfway through the month. September 19th, we're doing a mailbag for everyone. We do mailbags regularly for our patrons, but the month of September, we're going to give you a special mailbag for everybody. So that means if you've got things to send to us, Send them to bufferingthevampireslayer at gmail.com. We'll be collecting those questions and doing a really special mailbag episode for you that comes out on the 19th. And then on September 30th, wow, 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 wow. All of our patrons are welcome to join me, oh my gosh, Jenny Owen Youngs once again, uh, for a um, guitar lesson via the internet, if you want. You're going to uh, teach people to play the Buffy song? I'm going to try my dangdest mm-hmm. uh, to teach people to play the Buffy songs That's if they fun. feel like it. So you can tune in, grab your guitar, join me, and uh, <laughs> I'll walk you through a few of our jams. And hopefully by the end of our session, you'll be able to play those songs for your... Uh, cat or mom or whomever yes and so all that's a lot of information to throw at you all of that information can be found on our website bufferingthevampireslayer.com just click on calendar or if you're like really savvy you know to go to bufferingthevampireslayer.com slash jenny calendar which is where you find our calendar jenny calendar did you not know that oh was the line? i was like my calendar i'm an idiot okay <laughs> uh two other quick scheduling things we are going to PodCon, Jenny. What? In Seattle on January 19th and the 20th. Holy shit. You can also go to PodCon remotely. And those tickets are up at PodCon.com. Do you know who's going to be there? Who's going to be there? <gasps> Joseph Fink. Jeffrey Craner. Our friend Rishi. Oh, my God. Kathy, too. <laughs> Yeah, and also Tobin, uh, the two hosts of Still Buffering, who we don't know, but we feel They're like they're definitely we our nemeses. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and if you are uh, across the pond, a reminder that we're going to be at the Vampire Ball, November thirtieth to December third. Again, all of that information can be found on our calendar. We love you all. Okay, a couple of other announcements before we get into some, I think, really badass stuff that's going to happen in this episode. Yeah, Jenny. Yes. Okay, so if you uh, have not known this yet, you will know this now. (laughs) Patrons now have a new level of giving, the $25 level, and it's an exclusive merch level. So the exclusive merch has been decided upon. There will be a beautiful moss green t-shirt that says, Giles in the streets, Ripper in the sheets. And an enamel pin that says, The council is trash. about time. Now here's the catch. You have to be pledging at the $25 level by the end of August to get that merch that goes out at the end of September, beginning of October, okay? So get it, get it, get it. If you want this merch, you have to do it now because if you pledge in September, you'll get the next round of merch, but you won't get this one, okay? So here's your reminder. You've got a few days before the end of August. Get your little pledges in there, and then we'll get you your special merch. Yeah? Speaking of hot, hot merch, just want to remind you all that we have a flaming hot, amazing new shirt illustrated by Isabella Rotman and inspired by Heather Hogan. It's the Support Your Local Alewife shirt, and it's up now in our store, which is, of course, at bufferingthevampireslayer.com. Just click on shop, and you can find that and so many other delights ready for you. Wow. Okay, so now a couple of things about this episode. So we're about to roll into Pangs, and we want to let you know that we had the distinct pleasure of getting to speak with Koya White Hat Artichoker. Uh, Koya is an enrolled member of the Rosebud Sioux Tribe, a writer, a poet, and speaker on issues regarding race, equity, and two-spirit identity. Koya has been involved in various communities and movements 
since she was 15 years old. And we are, oh, oh, and uh, something that's not in her bio, she's a massive sci-fi Buffy fan. A little ways into the episode, you'll get to hear me speak with Koya about some of the themes and things that happen in this episode, um, bringing some light not only to what's happening in the episode, but also what's happening in our world currently, um, which I think is really special. I think it's a really, really wonderful gift that we were able to speak with Koya. I've heard the conversation that you haven't heard yet, and it is so great. Also, we want to tell you that in lieu of a song this week, we'll be playing a selection from a speech given by Standing Rock elder Phyllis Young to the Energy Transfer Partners, the company behind the Dakota Access Pipeline. We felt like maybe we don't really care about Buffy's perspective by the end of this episode. Yeah, um, rather than write a song um, from the perspective of white guilt, we first Jenny had the idea of doing three minutes of silence uh, as the song, and, and then we sort of talked about it a little bit more and thought, well, silence is one thing, but what if we fill the silence with the words of someone uh, who is a Native person? Um, and so that's what we're doing at the end of this episode, though we are going to try to work on something special for when the album itself comes out. Um, so there'll be a, a, a track for Pangs. But for this week, that's what we're using the time for. Yes. Uh, also, last thing, last thing before we last get into thing. the episode. Uh, as you know, we um, occasionally do lyric sheets where we hand write the uh, lyrics to the song of your choice, any buffering song, and the proceeds from those lyric sheets go to benefit an organization. So, of course, for Pangs, uh, in the month of September, we'll be doing 10 lyric sheets. So that's more than we normally do. We normally limit it to five, um, but because we're taking the month off, we're going to do 10 lyric sheets, and all of those funds that we raise from the uh, sales of those lyric sheets will go to the Native American Rights Fund. Uh, the Native American Rights Fund has provided legal assistance to Indian tribes, organizations, and individuals nationwide who might otherwise have gone without adequate representation. They've been around since 1971. And something specific about this organization uh, that I want to mention is that right now they're doing a lot of work around the Bears Ears National Monument. So um, if you don't know this, uh, 40 years ago, the U.S. Congress passed the American Indian Religious Freedom Act so that uh, Native people could practice their faith freely and access to their sacred sites would be protected. Um, however, in our current world, uh, their religious practices threatened all over again. In December of this past year, the administration reduced the Bears Ears National Monument, an area that's been sacred to Native people in Utah by over a million acres. So this is one of the many things that this organization is fighting against. Uh, we want to use this space in this episode, use our power as Scoobies, uh, as buffering listeners and um, just people who love the show to raise funds here. So you can go over to bufferingthevampireslayer.com com slash greater good and that'll take you to the landing page where the lyric sheets will be up for sale um pretty spectacular thing i think to do you get a really cool lyric sheet and you also give back to something that's really important and we get to take this episode uh which i think did some stuff but as we'll talk about shortly missed the mark in other places and um maybe hit the mark in some of the places where the episode did not yeah yeah all right let's stop yammering Woo! about here so let's watch Anya being super hot and funny. Yeah, yeah. Let's um, let's follow Riley home, perhaps, to his suburban Iowa lake with his dogs. <laughs> let's tie Spike to a chair. Yeah, you know what? Let's do that. Let's tie Spike to a chair right now.
to Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every single episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one at a time, spoiler free. I am Jenny Owen-Youngs. And I am Kristen Russo. And this week, we are so lucky Mm -hmm. to be talking about season four, episode eight, Pangs. Stay tuned at the end of this podcast every week for an original song written by us recapping the Buffy episode we are discussing. Pangs was written by Jane Espenson and directed by Michael Lang and originally aired November 23rd, 1999, <laughs> at which point I had been 18 for one entire day. Where are we going to now begin the con- countdown to 19? <laughs> <laughs> Just 12 months before I turn 19. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know... November 23rd, 1999. No, this is Thanksgiving is uh, when I came out to my parents, right. but it was the year prior. So mm. this, this would mark my one year anniversary of being a gay. Wow. This is the one where on Thanksgiving, Buffy encounters the spirit of a Native American warrior whose people were wiped out by settlers. That's the IMDb description. And as you can probably tell from the description alone, boy, oh boy, do we have a lot to talk about here today. Yes. We're going to do our very best to talk about this episode, which is one of the, maybe the most controversial episode. Yeah. I can think of like maybe yeah, at, one, least one at least one, at least one other one. So one of, one of the top probably two <laughs> yeah. most controversial episodes of Buffy. Uh, there's a lot happening in here. And you know that we referred to this book, Joss Whedon and Race. It's a collection of critical essays edited by Mary Ellen Eotropoulos and Lowry A. Woodall III. And the essay is called Let It Simmer, uh, Tonal Shifts in Pangs by Rhonda V. Wilcox. I'm going to refer to it a couple of times as we talk. Um, actually, I think a lot of the things that I'm going to refer to are Rhonda referring to other people's critical essays. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of good quotes in here from, from some of the critical work that's been done around this episode. But I just want to start with a little quote from the beginning of the essay where uh, Rhonda says, it is unquestionably, as we just said, one of the the most controversial episodes of Buffy. It is also one of Buffy creator Joss Whedon's declared favorites. As Jane Espenson says, quote, the core of it was something Joss had wanted to do for a long time, which is have a dead Indian at Thanksgiving, a very poetic illustration, I think, that we do kind of live in this country by virtue of some very ugly conquest. And then the next thing you know, we had a very non-threatening bear and some funny syphilis. <sighs> and right, like that's kind of the thing is like, if we're talking about like writing and the arc, it's some of like the sharpest, absolutely like, brilliant. There are some of the best, jo- like Sp- Spike. Yeah, I mean the, the episode is it's a brilliant episode of television structurally and like the way that it moves. The dialogue is written really brilliantly, but then when we look at what is happening in this episode, it's really it's controversial for I think good reason. There's a lot of really fucked up shit that happens, but there's also a, for me a, a lot of like very interesting stuff that is brought up because you know this could have just been a thanksgiving episode a lot of a lot of television shows just have thanksgiving episodes right where where nothing is challenged it's just fucking thanksgiving and we're all right. sitting around we're eating our turkey and <laughs> what easy... happens on the friends episode of thanksgiving joey gets his head stuck in a turkey that's all is I that remember. the same episode where they play football and monica is like oh really yeah competitive <laughs> Great. Uh, and, and nobody's mm. and nobody's talking about right like and, and we all watch Friends and we're like great great another show about uh, about how we eat turkey at this time about of how year. yeah about how a group of white people get together to celebrate uh, Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that to say that you know th- I think there is something 
in attempting to look at white guilt and attempting to look at the destruction, uh, right? The destruction the of a people. Liberal, yeah. Okay. Yeah, all of these things. And we'll, we'll, Jenny and I are going to do our best, uh, but we're also going to uh, bring in someone else to help us talk about this too because, um, you know, we've done a little bit of work learning about these things, but certainly... It's, Surely we are not, we are uh, not the, the most educated voices that could be speaking. We are not. Matter. But we're still going to talk about this stuff. Uh, we're still going to talk about what happens in this episode. Let's, uh, let's just jump in here. Can we start with the previously on? Yeah, I actually didn't have any notes from the previously okay. on this, this week. These are all of my notes from the previously okay. on. I was thinking of asking out Buffy. I've never courted anyone like Buffy before. Um, Buffy. Awkward pause. <laughs> Did you just write an erotic novel? Nobody wants my Buffy <laughs> Riley erotic novels. I think nobody it would be wants it. Jenny Mark Lucas erotic novels. <laughs> yeah, truly, real. truly. <laughs> um, then I have a quick uh, sidebar. Is it just me, or is Professor Walsh's hair like markedly different when she's in the classroom versus when she's in the underground yeah, lab? When she's in the classroom, hairspray. it's like soft mom hair, mm-hmm. and then downstairs, it's like I gelled. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you a know? lot more gel. It's a, a lot firmer, harder yeah, edges. She gets butcher yeah. down there. Um, <laughs> and then my last note is, you're a little peculiar. I can live with that. Oh, so your notes were just you it's writing like, down all of the dialogue. It's just like everything <laughs> that Riley has. Like the previously on was like, there's other stuff that happened to the previously on, but there was a solid block of, hey, just, do you guys remember Riley? Riley, right. he's into Buffy now. Do you remember the guitar strings that play every time Riley's on? Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> so after the previously on... We go through the credits and we get to the opening scene to which my first note is, oh my God, remember fleece vests? Yeah. This vampire just got off work at North Face. Yeah. And um, did you have a fleece vest? Of Well, d- probably. Right. I, I definitely everyone... had some fleece items. I don't remember. Oh, sure. Like hats over uh, long sleeve thingies. Yeah. Probably a vest in there somewhere yeah. the, in the, the collection. fleece vest was a really hot ticket item in the God, 90s. why? And this vamp, this vamp is very interesting to me, right? Because he, first of all, doesn't want to be bothered. He's not, he's strolling along and Buffy's like, excuse me. And like Buffy has to make him angry for him to show that he's a vampire. Right, right. He's just trying to fly under the radar. He is. He's trying to, he's trying to go about, and here's one of our very first little, little parallels, I think, is he's trying to just live his life as a vampire. And here comes the Slayer who's like, tap, tap, tap. I'm going to kill you. And he has a line where he says, go back to where you came from. You know, like, why don't you just go back to where you came from? Things were great before you came. Okay, so I'm just going to mention, though, that she's been in Sunnydale for, like, three years. Right. (laughs) So does he mean, like, before she got to campus? Yeah, well. But, like, I think campus officially would be in her patrol range. I think what he means. Would you like to keep going with this? No, no, I'm sorry. Obviously, they're just trying to accomplish something. Please go on. I just, right. I just think that this is supposed to kind of give us this little parallel of like uh, people coming into the territory of other people and vampire slayer imperialism. Exactly. Precisely. I well, mean, this is like something we've touched on very lightly before, though, right? Yeah. Like, what's up with just like free range to kill vampires? vampires. Right. We're, what gives you the right? Mm. Who says what's right here? Animals hunt other animals all the time. Where do we draw the lines? But yeah, this is in this episode specifically to set us up with this like, who was here first and what does that mean right. kind of thing. But also this vampire is weird. Why does he talk like the way that he talks? You know, it's, it's like once he vamps out, he becomes like 
like the, those guys in Scream with their little fucking vocoder things. Yeah, yeah. And he's all like, Slayer. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's pretty much verbatim the deal. And then you know what else is happening in this scene? Mm. These two aren't just fighting uh, unobserved. Oh, they're not, Jenny. No, someone's in the bushes. Who is it? Detective Angel. Yeah, so... Our sister podcast, Angel on Top, Mm. Laura, Zach, and Brittany Ashley talk a lot on there about how Angel is essentially just a stalker. He's a stalky boyfriend. Yeah. And um, I feel like that's like something we didn't necessarily like entirely miss it, but I feel like we focused more in the show on like how detective he is and less (laughs) how like, dude, why are you like always looking in windows and hiding in the bushes or whatever? This is like, this is the first time I've seen it through their eyes. I see. In the Buffy context. Angel, you're being a creep. Well, and he's there. We should contextualize this just in case people are only watching Buffy and not Angel. But in the last episode of Angel, the bachelor party, the episode ends with Doyle having a vision of Buffy in peril. And so that's why Angel has gone to Sunnydale. I want you to know that when you said Buffy in peril, I got full body goosebumps. What is what? wrong you with You were worried me? about her? I just like engaged. <laughs> And, like, I know what happens. Yeah. I. It, what's weird is that, like, I don't really feel like Buffy was any more in danger in this episode than she's been. It's not like it's not like Doyle had a vision and, and, like, Angel showed up and it was graduation day part two. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it doesn't seem... Yeah. A- did Angel being there make much of a difference? No. Well, they have this, in the end scene, he, he does, like, snap a bunch of necks and, like... But those uh, spirits aren't are dying by his hand. He's just kind of like... Like temporarily pausing them? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't... I mean, listen, this is setting us up. Yes. We're, we're being set up here for more. Uh, what More that is to come. Uh, but not much happens in this episode that is really changed by Angel, except us getting to play the Detective Angel jingle a yes, couple times. hooray! Which is everyone's favorite, favorite thing to do. So... After the credits, we go to this groundbreaking ceremony. Okay. First of all, this woman, let's just call her the anthropologist. I think technically she's the director of the Cultural Studies Center or something, but let's just call her the anthropologist Mm -hmm. uh, because that's a few syllables shorter. Her pantsuit is so oversized, (laughs) and I didn't want to let it go unmentioned. Well, there's a lot of fashion to talk about in this scene, because after we see her oversized pantsuit, we pan over to the trio of Scoobies we have over here, Buffy, Anya, and Willow, and oh boy, are they wearing some outfits. Well, yeah. Let's talk about it, Mm -hmm. please. Yeah, let's talk about it. Okay, so first of all... um, much has been made of Buffy's black cowboy hat in this scene, yes. uh, which, of course, sets us up for the age-old trope of cowboys versus Indians. Right. Right. And she's wearing a black hat, which mm-hmm. uh, indicates a certain amount of vil- villainry, mm. uh, traditionally. Mm-hmm. But also, I'm more interested in this hat in this moment for a different reason, because <laughs> Anya's like, have you ever seen anything so masculine? And then Buffy looking at construction worker Xander is like, oh, yeah, very manly. Not at all village people. She said from underneath her cowboy hat. <laughs> Good point. People in cowboy hats shouldn't throw village people stones <laughs> is my personal opinion. Very solid. Very solid thesis statement. Very Thank solid you. argument. Five points to Gryffindor. I mean, Ravenclaw. Thank you. (laughs) So, yeah, everybody's wearing some choice clothing. This is really, I mean, Anya's been coming out of her Anya shell. This is like, this is it. The best episode for Anya so far. Anya 
crushing. Anya really is just fantastic in this episode. Like, the whole time through. Anya... Yeah. Anya is, like, the character that just sees through all of the bullshit and is like, your ritual sacrifice? And they're like, what do you mean? Dude. 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 Yes. It's so great. Yeah, it is. She's great. Uh, I really hope, Jenny, I don't know who you picked for the Sexual Attention Award nominees. I know we'll find out at the end, but I... I'm really hoping that uh, Anya gets some play here because I just feel like Anya wanted to fuck everybody in the episode. Yeah, like she they literally leave the dean's house later, and she's like, "I, I really liked, liked his wife." wife. <laughs> like, but she, but she also she isn't just like she isn't like taking uh, subpar entries when she's waiting for Xander to start digging, and the anthropologist digs uh. first. She's like. Pfft. She's not rippling at all. She was ready to be open. <laughs> yes, but to to no gen- any gender, but no rippling. As long as as long as you've got ripples, Anya's Anya's into you. This episode, probably We're, any episode. We also find out here that Willow's family doesn't observe Thanksgiving. Yes, which is really one of the first positive things I've heard about her mom doing since the start of the series. Yeah, pretty much because the only thing, right? Because her mom's been a witch-burning nightmare yeah. uh, up until this point. And also like a shrinking-your-own-kid nightmare. Right, Ugh. right. So this scene, I mean, God, there's so many scenes in this episode, but this moment where Willow is like, uh, the destruction of an indigenous people is not the fucking melting pot, right? And we get, we get right. from the anthropologist. I like that we're calling her the anthropologist. We get from the anthropologist that like, you know, this country is a melting pot. I think she specifically says something like contributions from all cultures making our culture stronger, right? And That it, does sound like some bullshit. It does sound like some fucking bullshit. And also like I think something that this episode does underline in a way that is accurate is the way that uh, white people specifically can't gloss over the truth of a thing to make it seem like this very wonderful, beautiful journey that we're all going on together. When in fact, when you pick up the fucking covers and look underneath, it's like, in this case, the destruction of a people. And I do want to point out too that the Shumash people are the focus of this episode. And one glaring discrepancy is that the narrative of this whole episode is like they've been wiped out completely. They've been exterminated. That's not true. One of the pieces referenced in this essay by Rhonda Wilcox is a piece by Dominic Alessio, who in 2001, this essay says that uh, Dominic sounded the first major note in the debate on Pangs with his condemnation of the episode as essentially colonialist. And I bring up his points because one of his important points that he brought up in 2001 was that there are, in fact, approximately 3,500 Shumash living across the United States, some still in California. I also want to point out that looking into uh, the Shumash people, they are um, mostly in the Santa Barbara area. So, like, oh, yeah, just a little, just one more, one more little Penny in the bucket for Penny in the bucket for that, Sunnydale is Santa Barbara. For Sunnydale is Santa sure. Barbara. Yes. yes, yes. So Willow's calling out the anthropologist on her bullshit, on the general bullshit that the melting pot usually represents. And Buffy, this is, and you're pointing out like the color of Buffy's hat and the fact that she's kind of she's Buffy's really set up in a way in this episode to have her be. I mean, not the villain is probably the wrong word, but she's she's not the good guy. She's not on the right side of this debate. Um, she struggles with it as we as we walk into the episode, but like her response to Willow saying these like really important impactful things is like I never thought about it that way before right because I didn't have I've never had to think about it I didn't think about it before also like and then she changes the subject like I just want the turkey right it's Mm. and and that's okay so this is really a fucking episode because that's a whole nother thing right that that Buffy if we can go there now Buffy wants to host Thanksgiving yeah and 
And she wants to do it for reasons of like comfort. Yeah. And or? and nostalgia and um, chosen family. Like there's, there's. Sure. There's positives. Yeah. There's absolute value in like her wanting to assemble with her closest people and like observe like, a tradition that she is used to that makes her feel warm and familial. What doesn't feel great about like the overall arc of this episode is that like Buffy's conflict is sort of like her in between what the Shumash spirit guy represents and then like she just wants to have Thanksgiving because that's what she wants and she doesn't want to think about it. She just wants the tradition that she had, like the American traditionalism well, thing that like mm -hmm. runs through this whole episode. We have so many things that we we just like that are so ingrained in, in our experience of, of whatever, American culture mm -hmm. that like, you know, you have the luxury of not thinking about where they come from and what their roots are. Exactly. And and the and the privilege of saying like, but having turkey around the table is so nice without examining anything. And and there's a sorry that I I mean I'm not sorry that I keep referencing these essays, but there's there's a part in this essay that talks about that. It, it, you know, later in the episode, there's this quarter cup. It's the sound clip we played at the beginning of the episode where she's sort of like talking about her guilt and then she interrupts Dude. herself to say a quarter cup of brandy and let it simmer, right? And so here, uh, Rhonda Wilcox says, with Buffy's quarter cup of brandy interruption, there's the intrusion of the personal into the political. I wouldn't say that the effect is to make a mockery of concern for the Shumash. Instead, it makes a mockery of the speaker, Buffy. Fond of her, though many of us may be. The tonal shift suggests not a debasement of the significance of the issue, but a weakness in Buffy, a very human weakness in a person many of us identify with. A weakness in someone who asserts conscientious consideration for the social issue, but who at this moment is more involved in getting dinner than righting wrongs. Mm. And that, isn't at that this it? Moment. Yeah, yeah, Isn't yeah. that yeah. the America that we fucking live in? Like, it's just like everybody's too fucking busy and they're, they, they're too busy with their own lives and their own kids and their own this and their own that, that they can't really stop for a second to put down the fucking quarter cup of brandy and say, you know, this is actually really important. Because it doesn't affect them. It doesn't this this doesn't affect Buffy. And we're we're seeing her like struggle with it. And we'll talk about it more because now I've really taken us to like the mm -hmm. three-quarter mark of the episode. But <laughs> but th these are the themes in this episode. Like we're coming out heavy because this is a really heavy episode. It's really there's a lot in here. Yeah. Anyhow. Xander Diggs. Xander Diggs. See Xander Dig. See Xander <laughs> fall into pit. Hear ominous. Flute music. <laughs> of course. Yet yet one more. Like, this is like the same flute that we heard for In Inkamami Inka Girl. Girl. It's the same fucking shit. Right. It's what? like get that flute player we had for uh yeah. Inkamami. Yeah. Get them did, back in. Did did the Shumash even use flutes? Who cares? Yeah, just who cares? Just put that fucking People flute. will know what people get it. White American people watching this show will know. Like this will trigger for them what we need to trigger yes. in them. Yes. Oh, lots of problems in this episode. Now you know what else? Wait, but before we change scenes, <laughs> oh, okay. before we change scenes, I just want to talk about two things that we missed with Anya. Uh, one, mm. Anya's line, it's a ritual sacrifice with pie. Yeah. And two, Anya, twice in this scene, saying, oh, God. I'm imagining having sex with him right now. It's like, <gasps> Anya, what are you up to here? Like, do you know what I mean? Where are you Dude, going? Where are you headed? Talking about your sexual mm. fantasies with these ladies. Oh, just saying. I think she's knock knocking at the. Just okay. Knock knock knocking on three something. So, okay. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so, um. Oh, then you know what happens. Detective Angel. 
Are we sure that we shouldn't change the jingle to like stalker angel? <laughs> Real lurky angel. So, yeah. so like this is uh, not the only time this happens in this episode. There are multiple moments where it feels like Buffy has some kind of like spidey sense tingling mm-hmm. because Angel's around, but yeah. she doesn't know why. Have we ever like that feels like very overt, but it's not something that's like addressed or ever. Right. It's just like supposed to be their soul. Oh, they're like, true, they're true, true deep one. Love. Mm, yes. She's like, <laughs> I smell clues yeah. <laughs> and detective work. I smell the leather bound copy of <laughs> nausea. <laughs> I hear the yonder distant rustling of leather duster. <laughs> what are all these buttons scattered across the floor? <laughs> <laughs> Oops. So cool. So Angel is staring up at Buffy's window and we're like, that's creepy and until we see Buffy staring out her window yes and we're like oh maybe a lot they of windows. deserve each other a lot of people staring through windows in this episode that's like a whole theme it's like Spike yeah. looking in on the feeding oh, oh and Angel God. looking in on the yep. that's a whole thing uh, so we're in the dorm room after we after Angel lurks for a moment and uh, Buffy's looking out the dorm room window. I want to say I'm very surprised that Willow still has her Dingo's poster up on the wall. Oh yeah, that's well that's, no, but she's hang holding out hope that like Oz is coming back any I minute. Guess, but she's playing like sad music. Don't you think that like she would have had at least one night where she's playing sad music and she took it down? No, she's too gentle. Ugh, it's so sad. Um, okay. speaking of gentle, I just want to note that Buffy is seen holding a stuffed cow. Not her stuffed pig, Mr. Gordo. Oh, my God. The whole time I was like, oh, it's Mr. Gordo. I forgot that it was a stuffed pig and not a stuffed cow. It is allegedly a pig. I wonder what the cow's name is. I don't know. Um, She also decides she's going to throw Thanksgiving in this scene. Yes. It's a sham, Willow says. It's a sham with yams, says Buffy. A yam sham. A yam sham. Um, Great, 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 great dialogue. (laughs) I mean, Jane S. This is Jane Espenson, right? Uh-huh. Or S. Benson, however we say her last name. Uh, she she's an incredible. I mean, she's an incredible dialogue writer. Also, Will is like, "Ooh, we could not invite Anya." I feel like yeah. Anya rocks. Why? I guess Willow has well, residual mm-hmm. uh, Xander possessiveness. Yeah yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Anya rocks though. And and Willow caves. Willow caves to Buffy, which I feel is like. You know, I feel like Willow is seeing like the nostal- like the nostalgic end of things and Buffy says everything's different now. She can tell her friend is sad. She wants to help her friend, but she also wants to like not be complicit in this racist fucking situation. It's like a real a real challenge for Willow. Uh, but they decide they're going to have Thanksgiving and Spike, dude, there's so many Okay, can we just like talk for once? Okay. What's that movie where like a girl is selling flowers to buy matches or selling matches to buy food or like I think she's this is in- like that time you tried to tell that Bible story <laughs> for two pennies. What are you talking about? I don't know. I'm trying to think of some uh, particular like iconic occurrence in popular culture of like a small girl who yes. might be like an orphan who is like cold she has living two on pennies. the street. <laughs> she has two pennies and one blanket that's full of holes. I love You're that. Right, the blanket. The blanket is full of holes and also he's like pulling it like over his duster. Yeah. Like he's wearing a leather. I mean, I get that like what we're seeing is like Spike can't eat. So it's like making his body all fucked up and like he's way colder than he would normally be. He's like maybe colder than room temperature. We don't know. Or he is having a hard time. Right. And He's so cold that he needs a blanket over his 
a floor length leather jacket. That is full of holes. It's very dramatic. Yeah. Uh, then Riley and his bros are in the fucking woods. My note is Riley and his bros, blah, blah, blah. Everyone's yeah. going home for Thanksgiving. They've added uh, camo face paint. Yes. Yes. Lord. Which seems Have mercy. really unnecessary. On me. Gentlemen. <laughs> so then Xander's got syphilis. Oh uh, we God, don't know that yet. So sick. They really like the makeup uh, team on this episode did a great job with Xander. He really does look like he, he has looks like he's on pox, death, death <laughs> malaria, and malaria. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. <laughs> oh my God! And then we get to see a decidedly human portion of Anya. Well, yeah, we've seen a lot of human. human Anya, yeah, yeah. yeah. Her libido is human. Her uh, <laughs> desire to care for a very, very sick Xander is mm-hmm. human. Uh, her declaration when he is like. <laughs> Uh, talking about dying, she's like, we'll die together. It's romantic. That feels pretty human to me. Uh-huh. And then... And then he says, you're a strange girlfriend. And it's like record scratch. Yeah, and he's like, yeah. say what? Yeah. <laughs> what did you call me? <laughs> and Xander's like, oh, it's the disease talking. And she's like, well, I kind of like the yeah, disease. Yeah, yeah, she's into yeah. it. Yeah. Then a green mist suddenly... Materializes <laughs> into the the vengeful spirit of a of uh, a Shumash dude yeah Shumash dude who I, actually in reading this essay I in reading this essay I couldn't tell d- does he have a name in the episode or he was supposed to have a name um, oh, why bother naming the well uh, Jane Espenson did though J- in, in the original script this Shumash Hus H U S I believe had not only had a, a name but also had a, was the one who delivered the information about his people rather than it coming from like Willow and her books. It actually was him speaking about the injustices done to his people. Uh, so you know, just a, that's kind of a, a major shift that was taken out and, and changed. Mm. But probably a better way to have had that delivered would have been exactly that. Anyway. He uh, arises. And he also might have been like, actually, there's about 3,500 of us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If we let him speak, he probably would have said a couple of factual things uh, a little bit differently. <laughs> so he gets the knife, the um, the knife out of the case, you know, that the case right, that was right, probably right. like a knife taken peacefully from uh, the Shumash. And uh, and he totally kills the shit out of the anthropologist. That's Goodbye. one dead anthropologist. Sorry. Willow has some theories. Once she and Buffy uh, get to the crime scene, scene. she's like, so I'm thinking it's a witch. There's some great spells that work much better with an ear in the mix. Yeah. Because the anthropologist's ear was was removed. And and then she like spins out a little farther and is like, or an ear harvesting demon building a demon completely out of ears. Yeah, which please, those of you who are listening who are artists, please send us. I don't want to see that. Don't I do. Send that. Okay, I want to see the rendering of ear demon and ear I don't demon see made it. entirely of ears. And then she goes into Van Gogh to round out her bizarre collection of theories. Her ear monologue. Yeah. <laughs> so we go to Giles uh, and, oh my God, as a resident of Southern California, I can finally appreciate this line. I don't know if you caught this. Hmm. Buffy's like, was more like a riot than a Ralph's. Oh. Ralph's is a grocery store chain mm-hmm, that is. I don't know how far it extends, but it's all over Los Angeles. Yes. And now you know. Now you too have shopped at a Ralph's. Wow. Just like Buffy. I've never experienced a Ralph being more like a riot <laughs> so far, and I hope I never do. So we get... So we get more of this back and forth, also more of her sensing angel. We get more of the back and forth, you know, Buffy saying to Giles, if you're going to move to this 
country, you have to assume our traditions. Because Giles is, of course, annoyed that Thanksgiving is being hosted at his house because right. he knows he's going to get stuck with the cleanup. Mm-hmm. But it's just a little bit more of these like one-liners of it's our culture, so assimilate. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. our culture, so blah blah blah. And then hey, who's together again, Jenny? But Angel and his boyfriend, Giles. Angel. Angel. <laughs> oh no, we said Ann Giles. And we? Ann Giles Ann was Giles. their official couple name. <laughs> Just like the way that he walks out and but, like but, but this is immately preceded by Buffy having another like spider sister. She's just sense, like yeah. is like, hmm? Mm-hmm. And is like, I have to go get more whipped cream supplies right and then like dad and ex-boyfriend really go into it here where there's a little reference to angel with doyle having a vision that's talked about uh-huh, and uh-huh. then it's really like you know who uh who it's not your job and angel's like well it's not, not yours either, either. Yeah. Mm-hmm, there's basically mm-hmm. two dudes telling each other to stop protecting a lady meanwhile buffy's like everybody you just fuck off i'm going to get whipped cream yeah <laughs> to the espresso pump where I believe we both will have a lot to say Mm -hmm. let's just hear a couple of words from our sponsors hey there this is Justin Bartha I made a funny new podcast King of the Egg Cream it has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black I'm torn by my feelings for two women Bobby Cannavale you can eat it or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't wet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Lovely, lovely, lovely. So here we are. At the fucking espresso pump. Having just run over from three blocks up and two blocks over. <laughs> yeah. Riley's got a crush. <laughs> a crush. And Willow is fucking hilarious. Allison Hannigan, I know we say it a lot, but like she's, she's so great. Oh my God, she's incredible. Her comedic timing and delivery is just really on point. And she just has this moment where she's like, hey, how about that coffee that they serve here? We gotta go. (laughs) Like, runs off because she wants Buffy and Riley to start dating. Yes. And then Angel grabs her and covers her mouth. Why? Why doesn't he just... It's like he he didn't leave evil. It's not like he, it's not he's like just, Willow would see him and be like, "Oh my god, it's Angel." Like, I know he's just so dramatic and very dramatic. But maybe her first response to seeing Angel would instinctively be to be like, "Buffy." Right. I just turned my head and said, "Buffy." I don't know if you could tell. It just seems sonically. it seems over the top. But he grabs Willow and she's like, "Are you evil? Are you evil now?" Like, Dude, his yeah. Hand. Yep. He's like, yep. "No, I'm not evil." Which is like this tiny little threat. Exactly what an evil person would right. say. And this is kind of a recurring thing, like because it happens later with Xander. And he's like, "Why does everybody think I'm evil?" Like, well, dude, because you literally had some epic, epic evil moments in the last three seasons. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. 
Anyway. Um, and he's all like, Buffy can't know I'm here. Buffy's in danger. And then she does this whole like, <laughs> I've had it with this like, I'm leaving for her own good garbage. Yes. Like, you can't just give up because there's obstacles. And Angel's like, uh, Hector projector. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then Willow's like, oh, sorry. It's messed up. Sorry. <laughs> and then Willow, there's this amazing thing where, like, obviously there's a lot in this episode, so we don't have a lot of time to, like, let them have the conversation we want them to have. We get a little taste of it with her being like, of all the people you could have hired, man. Cordelia. Cordelia. And to that, Jenny, I say, we don't get a Cordelia name drop in many an episode, so shall we just play the Cordelia jingle for Please. old time's sake? Angel has a very pressing question. His concern yeah. <laughs> for he's, Buffy. He's so worried. Oh gosh. What? Can you just tell me who is that guy? Who? Who is that guy? He wants. Wow. Who is that guy who looks like me left out in the sun? butterscotch. <laughs> uh, and meanwhile, Buffy is making some massive moves outside. Yeah. Wow. She just invites him to, to Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving? It's like a no parents Thanksgiving. Sure, but it's still pretty yeah. big. Do you want to come to Thanksgiving with me, my three friends, and uh, the librarian from my high school? <laughs> yeah, and also a vampire. <laughs> she doesn't know that part yet, but it would have been a great time if Riley uh, had shown up. Good would not thing. Have yeah, 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 yeah. But we find out that Riley's from Iowa, and I don't mean to like. I'm whatever. Can you hear me rolling my eyes? Because I, I'm rolling them, audience. Yeah. I don't want like. I don't think you can argue with this. The Riley Finn family Thanksgiving sounds pretty tight. It's on a farm. After dinner, they take a walk with the dogs down by the river. And there's lots of trees. What I liked about this moment was that I was like, I wrote the note. Oh, brother, Riley. And after I did that, he was like, I know it sounds like a fucking whoever, whoever painting. Like, you know, like he like I, what I liked was that he called himself out on like how cookie cutter, how idyllic Iowa. and uh, yeah. peaceful and lovely that sounds yes. yeah punish him uh so you know who you, speaking of punishing him mm. let's go to the next scene <laughs> where harmony has been doing a lot of reading of oh self-help books i love she, her her line i wrote it in all caps i've been doing a lot of reading and i'm in control of my own power yeah yeah incredible she's... and she fucking holds her own because you think she's gonna you think she's gonna cave uh, cave and she but does she not. is powerful and beautiful and doesn't need spike to complete her, and also she has a stake in their bed. A stake underneath the bed, which yeah. is a hilarious thing that a vamp like to, yeah, to just yeah, imagine yeah. a vampire sleeping with a stake under the right, bed. Right, right. Like you might roll over onto that right. in the middle <laughs> of the careful, night. Harm. Or the middle She's of the day. She's setting fires, sleeping on stakes. Yep, yep. Also, I just want to give a tiny little shout to her hair. She's like, it's like pulled back, and it looks like it's just pulled back. But then when you see the the back of her head and the side of her head, it's all these like teeny tiny little ponytails. Really good. I did not see that. No, I did. Uh, I'm representing for the femmes over uh-huh. here. <laughs> I saw all of her ponytails and I liked them. But yeah, Spike is... Oh, just... sorry. Yes. I just want to note that Angel is wearing, in this episode, black pants, a dark red button-down shirt, and a oh black leather duster. Wow. There you must think have been a Angel sale and Spike at... are going to make out at... <laughs> at, prom. at Burlington Vamp Factory? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think there was a sale on red vampire-like t-shirt or uh, button-ups. Uh-huh, uh-huh. 
So Harmony kicks Spike out. Spike's really pathetic. Just like, can I just have something to eat before oh, I go? Poor Spike. He's I so hungry. He's so As somebody hungry. who becomes a different person when I'm really hungry, I have a lot of, but you know, feelings for Spike. That's why you don't fucking just shit on people all the time, Spike, is then when you need something, they're not going to be there for you. True. Not True. for shelter, not for sex, and not for food. Harmony is like, get out and stay out. And I wish... We had a harmony jingle for this episode for her, but you know we work we're working on Giles, so yeah, 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 hang hang in there. Yeah. So okay, so Father Gabriel had seven sons, and seven sons had Father Gabriel. What? Do you know that song from camp? It's I think it's Father Abraham. Oh Father yeah, Abraham. that sounds vaguely sons. biblical and yeah. familiar. <laughs> well, Father Gabriel, uh, we learn is dead. Yes, we do learn that. <laughs> And uh, he's been hanged. Yes. He has been hanged by Hoos, who earlier we weren't sure if Hoos had a name in the episode or not. And he does, because this is the moment, the only time that we hear his name, he references it in his speech where he says, I am vengeance. I am my people's cry. Uh, and so he's, and this is the moment of conflict for Buffy. It's like all the things that Willow's been saying in the episode are like settling into place. And she's like, how am I just going to kill this man, the spirit it's not it's not a black and white thing. It's not it's a it's a gray area for her. She feels conflicted. And like that, you know, this episode is I don't think it I don't think it does a good job, but there are pieces of it that like if it had just been like done well, like this part is I'm here for it. I'm here for like Buffy being privileged, not understanding her privilege, starting to learn that she has privilege, starting to learn there's more complex things happening. And then doing something about it. And that's where the episode right. really right. peers out for me. Yeah. But um, in this moment, she doesn't kill him because she's conflicted. And she goes back to Giles and she's like, I don't fucking know what to do. I, I, I don't know. And that's when our arguments begin. Right. Do we want to also just mention that who's uh, before departing busts into uh, fucking birds? a flock of crows or ravens or something? Um, first of all, cool. Second right. of all, very cool effect. Fetishization of yeah. the mysticism exactly. inherent in Native American. Like, mm. yeah, because it's they're, what they're uh, he's birds, he's a wolf, and then, of, of course, wolf most, or I think coyote. A coyote. Oh, well, you would know. Blending Jenny. in <laughs> in Southern California. <laughs> That's true. Maybe it was just, I guess maybe that was nobody. Maybe it was just a that coyote. That could have just been a coyote. <laughs> and they just were really dramatic about a coyote <laughs> showing yeah. up. They're like, everybody's looking in the windows. Yeah. Angel. Spike, this coyote. Yeah, but it is, it's like, you want the episode to highlight the things it's highlighting about the destruction of, of, a, of an entire people, but do you also want to believe that more research was done here and more more was put into it? And, and because we know that it was, because we know that there are still Shumash people we know that like there wasn't a ton that went into well, it seems like there wasn't a ton that went into the research. And yeah. so then when you pair that with like birds and a coyote and a bear, it's like uh, is are and, we, like, are we trying is, we, to we are watching like a supernatural dramatic sure. comedy that has a lot of like monster of the week yeah. stuff, right? So they're like go- leaning as hard like wherever they can lean into like those ideas right. within what's actually happening in this episode they're doing it but also like i think it's important to maybe look at that a little more critically yeah yeah right and i i think that we we're watching a show where the creators are primarily white 
the writers are primarily white. The cast is primarily white. And it, it, I think the very bottom of it all, we at least have to say, let's look at this critically because because the w- these are white people. Because nobody wh- did before. So, <laughs> yeah. God, somebody the, These are white. This is a bunch of, of white people ostensibly writing a narrative to... And, and, and white people should be definitely like trying to unpack this and trying to write narratives and trying to tell stories about this. But I don't think that, especially in 99, we were in a place in Hollywood where Hollywood felt accountable enough to Mm -hmm. really do uh, the work properly. Okay, before you and I talk about this too much, though probably you can't talk about it too much, but I think that we should go now to the conversation that I was able to have with Koya White Hat Artichoker. Uh, Koya is a huge Buffy fan uh, and an enrolled member of the Rosebud Sioux Tribe. Uh, Koya is also going to tell you even more about herself when we get into the interview. Uh, We talked about some of the things that we've already talked about in the episode and, and many things that we haven't covered here yet. It was a true pleasure to speak with her, and I think you'll feel the same. Uh, Koya, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to speak with us. This is a really, uh, really controversial episode, uh, an episode that I think uh, really warrants a bigger, deeper discussion of some things. So I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Yeah, of course. I'm happy to be invited. I love Buffy, so that's that's our commonality, right? That's the, that's what brings everybody to the to the table is our love for Buffy. And what's so cool is that like our love for Buffy then brings out these conversations about um, other things in the world. And I, I maybe a good a good place for us to start is you just telling us a little bit about who you are, um, and obviously that'll contextualize why you're speaking with us today. Yeah, sure, no problem. Uh, my name is Koya White Hat Artichoker. I am Sichangu Lakota from uh, the Rosebud Sioux Reservation in South Dakota. Uh, I'm an enrolled member, and I am a two-spirit, queer, feminist, activist-type person, and I've been doing um, organizing work in different movements for about 20 years, and uh I am also a huge sci-fi nerd. Um, (laughs) I like love everything sci-fi. So when uh, Buffy, I was late to the game with Buffy, but I fully embraced it. So. Uh, you you sit perfectly at the Venn diagram right, <laughs> of today's conversation. <laughs> um, yes, and that's really exciting. And I'm we're going to get into the specifics of the episode, but you and I had the chance to talk a little bit before sitting down here to record our conversation. And a couple of things came up. One of them was um, t- t- a little bit, we talked about the California missions. Uh, and that's something that you had a, a story to share about, something that kind of brings this to the present. Obviously, the California missions are kind of a cornerstone of the narrative of this episode. Episode, so I'd love to share that with our listeners. When you look at what happened to the Native people in California, it's actually uh, unlike other places in the country, and it's really destructive. There was a really intentional um, sort of campaign, and you see it because the missions were throughout California. Um, so there was an intentional campaign to sort of assimilate and destroy culture of Native folks in California. And there are also like it's no accident that there are no, there are very few federally recognized California tribes. Um, and when you have federal recognition, then that is how people enforce treaties. So they sort of managed to do this campaign of setting up these missions and assimilating and or killing folks um, into sort of uh, 
you know, Christian culture. And you see that with boarding schools in the Midwest or in Canada, um, but they really uh, amped it up and got real systematic about it in California. And a lot of that had to do with um, the gold and the resources that California has. And also, I mean, the other thing is, I know in the modern day context, I have a friend who is a PhD candidate in the UC California system. And she was talking about how her daughter was taught about the California missions for like a week in her school and had to like write up a story about it and talk about it and never in a context of like critiquing it. And so it was really painful for her as a native woman to have her daughter being taught that like they didn't do anything really wrong as much as they were trying to like civilize native people. And this is like when when was this happening? This is like now this is 10 years ago. When when was her daughter in school? This is a year and a half ago. I mean, it's, you know, it's atrocious that that kind of instruction and education happened at any time. But I do think that a lot of us think that that has stopped, that we are no longer learning these false false things or that like kids aren't learning filtered tales of things that um, that were really, really horrible. It's very upsetting. And I think that's why you and I are having this conversation of that this this isn't something that happened, you know, hundreds of years ago. And this isn't just something that happened 50 years ago. And this isn't something that was just going on in an episode of Buffy 20 years ago. This is something that is like today actively happening. Yeah. And it's not I mean, it's one thing where it's like children in California. It's another to like be a native child and have to sit in a classroom and to have to hold both of both worlds in that moment. Something else that I wanted to talk to you about, Koya, in our conversations, you've used a variety of words um, to describe Native people or to refer to Native people. And that's a piece of this episode is this is 1999. And, you know, Giles says Indian and Buffy says, sorry, that's not what we say anymore. We say Native American. And and I've heard, you know, in our conversations, you've used um, Native person uh, as well as Indian all to describe um, Native people, Indigenous people. And so I would just love to hear a little bit more from you on language and our use of language and um, your thoughts on those terms. Sure. And Willa also used indigenous at one point. Um, she referenced, right. oh, I've met indigenous people and within like five minutes, I'm acting like Custer. I thought it was kind of funny. Um, right. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, language is really always important. I myself, I, I don't like to use the, fer- the term Native American because our people existed here before America existed. I think oftentimes it's really the best course of action is to ask people, what do you want to be referred to? Because there are 562 distinct nations recognized by the federal government in the United States, Alaska, and Hawaii. So we have names that we call ourselves, our people. And then, you know, we have things, we have words that we use for uh, political purposes. So like, I call myself Indian because we grew up calling ourselves Indians, even though it's a misnomer, it's not correct. It comes directly from Christopher Columbus. But if you ask me, like I say, I'm Sichangu Lakota, which is my band and which is part of the larger Osheti Shakowin, the three nations that comprise the Osheti Shakowin which is all of the Lakota, Dakota, Nakota people. So, and it's similar, like you, like you call people Navajo, but if you ask them what they call themselves, they call themselves Diné. So I think language is really important to pay attention to. And I think if you don't know, it's just better to ask. I think we say that about gender and like 
queerness all the time is if you are unsure, you should just ask, what do you want to be referred to as? And people will tell you different things. And I make my distinctions based on my background in political organizing. Um, and also, you know, the word indigenous was used and I use that word because it allows me to have solidarity with folks, other tribal folks from South America and Mexico. Um, and it's a recognition that our people have walked this continent since time immemorial. And we know that. And these borders are constructed and they are false to us. Thank you for sharing all of that. Um, it's I, I did hear echoes of conversations that I have definitely in, in regard to sexuality and gender around language. And I think that for so many of us, it's really just being able to feel comfortable asking questions and also being respectful enough to then um, listen to those answers, use those words um, and ask questions if you then meet somebody else that we're not just blanket statement, you know, using these words as blanket statements for um, everyone, um, but for individual people and individual experiences. So let's talk a little bit about the episode itself, right? Pangs comes in the Thanksgiving episode and does something that most episodes of Thanksgiving television don't do in that it brings in the the racism, the violence associated with the holiday. But it struggles and fails. I know I'm not going to put those words in your mouth, but that's how I feel in, in many ways. And I'm wondering if you have some takeaways from this episode or major things that you'd like to talk about. I think that it's... It's one of those things where, like, I applaud Joss Whedon for, like, taking a stab at it and the team behind Buffy uh, because I think it's in that sort of – it's in a sci-fi realm where you can create this sort of situation to sort of wrestle with the kind of moral issues there. I agree with you. I think at the end they probably didn't – they did not land where I wish they would have landed. I grew up as a very spiritual, cultural person, and so I do have a belief system that involves spirits, and I do believe that there are ways to sort of reckon with the past that allow people to move on, and I didn't see that here, you know? I think that, you know, even as Lakota people, we have ceremonies for our grief, you know, Um, and, and ways in which we sort of try to move our people forward, move ourselves forward, um, and recognize the past, but like to, to let it go in a way that's healthy and, and in a good way. And what I saw here was more of a, yes, we recognize this, we see that it could be real, and in the end, we're still going to destroy the Indian. We see lots of lots of demons, spirits, et cetera, in the Buffyverse who are complex, right? They're not just evil. Like this character of Hoos is sort of positioned as a complex character, but also no one no one really engages him and speaks to him and talks to him about anything. Whereas like, you know, we have Oz, we have Angel, we have like all of these other characters where um, they may have come to us or they may have like parts of them that are doing things that are harmful, like who's is killing people and, and cutting off people's ears and things like this. But but there's no conversation that's ever had. And, um, and you know, we'll talk about this a little more, but I just, I thought that that was an interesting parallel to draw between the lack of dialogue that really happens here between them well i think it's also like i mean i could be wrong here but it could also be like a bigger metaphor for just how this country deals with native folks in general you know it's very much uh i think people feel a lot of guilt or or moral ambiguity about what has happened to native people in this country and in the history of this country while at the same time being completely incapable of actually tackling that history 
Um, and so yes. the reaction becomes like, you know, there is no redemption for the savage warrior or that like, you know, we don't know what else to do, but to ignore the problem. And the best way to ignore the problem is to kill the problem. Right. Which is, which is exactly what we see here. And that really segues into the next thing that I wanted to touch on, which is this through line of white guilt and how it's handled. We see especially Willow and Buffy as the examples, I think the bigger examples in this episode of white guilt, they, they reckon with the knowledge that they didn't have before. They learn something about the Shumash people. They learn about the missions and they grapple with it. Uh, Willow and Buffy specifically in slightly different ways, you know, and then of course we see other characters who don't grapple with it at all. Spike being the other end of that spectrum. This is something that I feel that I experience in day-to-day life when it comes to white people unpacking things that have happened to people of color, uh, indigenous people, immigrants, saying sort of, this is bad. I, I recognize this is bad. This is really bad and I acknowledge it, but I, you know, I have to get my kid to their soccer practice. I have to make dinner. I have to like, I have to deal with my life. So like, I recognize it's bad, but you know, I'm sorry. Or like, I feel bad, but I... I don't have anywhere to take it. And that's what this episode kind of leaves us with is, is that there's not action. And I'm wondering if there are ways in which you think the episode could have taken a more active stance. And of course, then that will likely parallel how, you know, white people can be more active. I, you know, I think that one of the things that has been a constant in my life is kind of um, the white feminist who has a lot of guilt and doesn't know what to do but really, really wants to like acknowledge that there's something bad happened. And so I, you know, I feel like I see that represented here quite well. And I I see the end results of that represented here quite well, which is that, again, um, in wrestling with that and, and in that uncertainty and, you know, this sort of inability to reconcile, to really, really like, like you mentioned, nobody's, stopped and had a conversation with us. Nobody asked the question of like, why are you here? You know, versus like you mentioned other characters like um, Oz, you know, multi-arc, got to understand, try to be understanding. We're going to build him a special little cage. Like, you know, <laughs> like there was efforts to like really grapple with that, with um, yes. that character. And here there wasn't, right? And I think it is, it, I, I think it really touches a deeper something that is really deep within white consciousness, white American consciousness of like just the complete inability of, of, of how knowing how to reconcile with the genocide of native people. And I think there are lots of places you can look to see this occur. Like even the museum of the native American on the national mall in DC, it is all, all their exhibits are contemporary native stuff and they never talk about the genocide in that whole museum. What? Yeah, yeah. If you ever go to DC and go to that museum, there is no mention of the genocide. And that is a like a particular political cultural choice and wow. like a societal amnesia or like a desire to not talk about it. But if if the National Museum and the Smithsonian can't do it, why would we expect Buffy to be any better? I, I wish sometimes that I were not as shocked by learning some of these things that I learn as I unpack my own whiteness and, you know, and what has happened in this country and what happens in the world, because it's like all at, all at one time I want to not be shocked, but I, I, I 
I am just floored. I'm floored. Well, and I think, uh, and I don't, you know, I feel like this is part of this sort of intentional erasure of Native people and this desire that, like, to keep us in the past as interesting artifacts, right? Which is why you see the woman in the beginning of the episode with the, she's like in a museum and with the artifacts, you know? And right. that that is very much the way in which Native people are, want like it's easier to see us as in the past and it's hard to see us as contemporary because if you look at us as contemporary native people who are still here then you also have to acknowledge that like it's a miracle we're still here and you we are constantly saying we have to talk about the genocide like we are not in the conditions that we are in because we wanted them or we we created them this was something that was done to us. And that's where you get into the idea of historical trauma. Like, I feel like Huss would be like the manifestation of historical trauma, right? Because he says, mm-hmm. I am here as vengeance, right? And yeah. so I, in my world, I'm like, yeah, you know, other people might be like, this is a bad dude. And me, I'm kind of like, this guy makes sense. Yeah. Something that I I would love to hear from you about, too, is just, you know, we're talking about some of the actual characters in the show, but obviously this is a television show and there are creators behind it. Joss Whedon is a white cis dude and many of the people, if not all of the people at this point in time in that writer's room were white people. And I think, you know, uh, white creators certainly have a responsibility to use our platforms to elevate the voices of people who have less of a platform than we do. But I'm wondering if you have thoughts on how that can be done more responsibly. Well, you know, it's hard because, again, I give them credit for even trying because I think oftentimes because it was it was a complex and it was a little nuanced more than I often see in other arenas around Native stuff, especially when it's not created by Native people. And so in that sense, I'll give them their, their due around that. But, but I think what you are witnessing is very much a white lens on the California uh, missions and very much a California take on it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and to the extent that like in the end, you know, again, the lack of complex, like the lack of engagement with that character, but like also in the end, the decision that like, oh, we're just going to kill them. And then we're going to express our guilt about the killing of them again. So there is there everything to me about that screams, this is what it looks like when white people write about Native people from a really limited knowledge base. Right, which I think is points us in the direction of the thing that white creators can do to be responsible is bring in people of color, bring in indigenous people, bring in queer people, bring in trans people, bring in disabled people. If that is the storyline that you're writing that that involve those actual human beings in the creation of those stories so that it is more nuanced, it is more truthful, and it is uh, less with that lens that we see this episode in. Yeah, and, and maybe with some like, maybe with a hint of compassion, you know, mm-hmm. nowhere in this episode, or at least from the parts that I re- reviewed, is there like any sort of attempt to really sort of have some compassion for this vengeful spirit and to try to sort of engage. And again, I go back to like, I, I think a lot about trauma and historical trauma and, and what does it mean to heal? And I think that part of what we see here is like the the trauma of a people and rather than heal it or try to engage in it, you see them just 
do what has always been done, just just like try to kill it or make it disappear. Yes. Is there anything uh, that you want to talk about before we wrap up today? Something that I didn't ask or bring up? No, no. I'm just I'm excited to like be in the middle of the, this particular Venn diagram for this particular conversation. I, I, I can't tell you how thrilled I am that Jenny and I both are to have your voice in this episode of the podcast. It's just really powerful to hear from you and to have been given the opportunity to have a conversation around some of these things with you. So thank you so much for your time um, and for sharing all of this with all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Again, thanks for the invitation. And I really love talking about this. So thanks. Wow. Thank you so much to Koya for taking the time to talk to us. That was, uh, I feel like I learned so much. Yeah, same. Uh, Koya, thank you. And um, all of you should definitely follow Koya and Koya's work. Uh, she's on Twitter at Koya Hope, C-O-Y-A-H-O-P-E on Twitter. And you can find out a lot more about the work that she does and um, just tap into an incredible, incredible resource. It was such a pleasure to speak with her. And I hope to have her back to talk even more because yeah. um, it was really, really rad. I also want to mention that I did another interview with somebody named Jirsi. Uh, Jirsi works at Race Forward in New York City. She's a two-time immigrant born in the Dominican Republic and raised in Spain before she moved to the U.S. We had a really wonderful conversation about this episode. Um, but when we found Koya, we prioritized that conversation in, in the episode. We're going to put the conversation that I had with Jersey up on Patreon. That's for everybody. It's for free. You don't have to be a patron. You can just find it on our Patreon page. Um, so that'll be up now. And we're really hoping, um, and I think we will achieve this goal, to have Jersey in another episode in the future because um, it was phenomenal. She's phenomenal. As the objective third party uh, who was not part of the conversation but who has heard the conversation, I want to highly recommend to everybody that, that you all listen to it. It is really fantastic. Thanks, Jenny. Yeah. All right. So let's get back into the episode. Okay. So uh, Willow is uh, detailing some atrocities. Yes. As uh, she calls it. And it is. Uh of uh, ears being removed, of people being hanged, like all the stuff that we've already seen. forced labor. Uh, mm -hmm. oh, right, herded into the mission and exposed to diseases. Now, is syphilis, can you get syphilis in any other way other than through sexual, sexual transmission? Uh, why are you asking me? I don't know the fucking answer. No, I'm asking like the world. Oh. I, I didn't mean like I need an answer from you, Christian Russo. I'm just saying like, huh, that one stuck out to me. Smallpox, malaria, okay. But syphilis? Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. And it's like a an all-star, like, special reunion tour of some of <laughs> the greatest diseases to ever take the stage. <laughs> oh, so, and everyone's beginning to fight. Like, your standard family holiday, right? Yeah, very Thanksgiving. Very, very. Giles very... and Willow are having the imperialism versus white liberal people. Yes, exactly. Uh, argument, of course. Maybe we should be helping him, uh, you know, bringing the atrocities to light, says Willow. Like, Willow, I mean, we're talking about Buffy as, like, the embodiment of white guilt, but really it's Willow who's the embodiment of, of white guilt in this episode where she's just like, we have to do something. What do we do? Right. This is bad. That's the problem. Nobody ever has an actionable thing. And so in the end, whatever, we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, Angel, not terribly stealthy. I, I think he's lost his edge. I think he's lost his edge. Oh, it's good. It's good. It's good. Then Ander and, Ander and Zanya, of course. Ooh, yeah, uh, Xander of course. and Anya show up. And uh, everyone's like, wow, Xander, you look terrible. Except for Buffy, who's like, you didn't bring rolls? 
Right. Which is pretty tight. But <laughs> Buffy has a fuck. I mean, she's mission driven. She just said that yeah. last week. Capricorn uh, in action. Yes. She, she just needs to have her goddamn Thanksgiving fucking dinner. Uh, then Xander makes a comment about vengeance demons. And like, obviously, we kill vengeance demons. And to Anya being like, um, excuse me, but a demon has to do what a demon has to do. Right, right, right. right. I so didn't know fighting, you and then Willow and Giles flare back up. And Buffy keeps escaping to base, escaping to add condensed milk. And then there's one more knock at the door. Knock, knock, knock. Vamp on fire. <laughs> Spike is here begging to be let in. Please feed me. Please don't let me burn. And they're like, what? In, why would we ever? And yet. And yet. Well, because well, he's he got has, information. He has information about the initiative. Which it is, is wild that Buffy doesn't just like stake him immediately, though. Yeah. Yeah. But you they suspend your disbelief. But they've got something they had, special. They've had something special from the, from the beginning. Oh, yeah. Remember when they all teamed up? Yeah. Aww. Like they have, you know, they have like feelings past just bad vamp, good vamp. Uh, so then so, as, as soon as he gets gets inside he goes from like uh throwing himself at their mercy to like oh the ropes are too tight it pinches and <laughs> yeah. i'm too hungry to remember everything yes and i, I wouldn't <laughs> say no to a brandy i don't remember if i talked about this in the initiative last week but i came across this quote that i'm gonna just paraphrase from joss who basically was like once cordelia was gone we really needed a character who was just going to be rude to people outright <laughs> you know the the, the something the quote was something like the neighbor who's like can i have your sugar but then is also just rude to your face like can i borrow some sugar but also fuck off <laughs> Uh, and so we get more of that with Spike. I mean, Spike is giving us a lot of what Cordelia would give us. I mean, apart from the entire monologue that he has about being an imperialist. But um, right, 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 right. Which but, she goes into right here. Yes. And he talks about conquering nations and like you can't like boohoo over like this is what Caesar did. And this is what uh, Americans like Americans. Right. Uh, colonists did. Uh, this is what colonizers do. Right. And Xander's like, hey, this is like starting to like sound like something that makes sense. And Giles is, of course, like, I made a lot of these points earlier, but uh -huh. nobody wanted to listen to cool dad. And did you notice that it's all the men in the room who are uh, agreeing? Are like, wow, yeah, what a this. great idea. Yeah. What what the fuck is this? Like, why would you accept like in order to whatever in order to get to X, you must destroy the entirety of Y? Yeah, that's. Well, but you know, you know what's interesting to me about this monologue, though, is it makes me feel a lot less gross than watching the performance of white guilt that we see in the episode. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? And I don't I don't know. I don't know if that's a that's a good feeling or a bad feeling I have. But Spike is like very direct about his intentionality. His what it's sort of how I yeah, feel about yeah. like racism in general. It's like when you have people who are like, I feel this way and I am racist and I am blah, blah, blah. It's like you can see who that person is. And, and they're less dangerous to me when you can see who they are and they're vocal about who they are than when they're people who are like, but I'm a good person and I just love Yes, I love everyone. And, I, and that's really dangerous. Like, to me, that's more dangerous. And so in somebody who is who uh, professes goodwill and thinks like that exonerates them from having to examine 
anything going on inside exactly. of themselves. Exactly. So, so for that, I am really here. I mean, and Spike's monologue is a, is a brilliant, uh, brilliant monologue and delivered brilliantly by James Marsters. So I got to give him a shout for that. But yeah, he and, he, and Spike also has a line. I don't know if it's part of the monologue or if it comes after the monologue where he basically like Willow's like, but we, if we could just talk to him and Spike is like, you exterminated his race. What could you possibly say that would ever make him feel better? Which Such is Such a good question. Yes, Spike. Yes. Like I'm really here for that because it's true. It's like, what are, what are you going to do here? What are, what are you going to say, Willow? What are you going to do? Um, so Spike briefly tells us what happens when vampires don't eat, which I was excited about because I just asked about it last episode. Right, right. Um, they just turned into little skeleton vampires. And um, so then who's along with uh, his squad? Yes. Of uh, He's resurrected. spirits that he has raised. Mm-hmm. Um, shows up at Giles' house and Buffy has a pretty unfortunate line where she shouts at them. You can have casinos now. Oh, yeah. You know, I actually, I mean, I actually appreciated this line because I felt like it called out the ridiculous. I mean, I feel the, the purpose of this line was not to, like, express, like, But we gave you this thing. It's literally to express, like, are we fucking serious as a ludicrous. people? That were like, um, we took away your entire land, all of your land. We robbed you of your fucking co- but genocide. Like, but here, have a casino. You know, yeah. like, I, I mean, so like, yeah, it's an unfortunate uh, line that Buffy speaks. But in the context of the show, I was here it's for more it. more of a call out than. Yeah, I think so. I think that's why it was there. Um, and so the, we, get, we see a little bit of the siege. And Spike then- gets arrowed. And he's Spike. like, hey! Right, we didn't even mention that Spike is tied in a tied. chair and just being being so Spike while tied up. Which yeah, 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 yeah. Now you know that when we post images and gifts of Spike tied up in a chair, well, we're we're starting here. You know yes. what I mean? Yes, <laughs> starting so, here. Starting here. Starting now. So um, we go to outside of the Dean's house because, of course, something we didn't mention is that they think that the next target is the Dean because it's supposed somebody in power, position, uh, right, somebody right, in the right, position right, right. of power. So then we get Anya uh, <laughs> with her pie line. Yeah, with her pie line, like really crushing on the dean's wife, and then meeting Angel for the first time. Oh yeah, he's large and glowery, isn't he? Right, she right. says with her sexy eyes. <laughs> and then is it Xander who was also like, "Are you evil again?" Yes, yes. And Angel's so irritated, like, "Oh, I'm never gonna shake." This. I haven't been evil for a long time, guys. <laughs> then, <laughs> then, um, in a an act of. Petty crime. Mm-hmm. Angel uh, breaks some bike locks with his bare hands. Yes. So that... So that we get this beautiful scene. Oh, yeah. It's like an E.T. Mm-hmm. Or really probably Stranger Things is the most recent yeah, yeah. incarnation of kids on bikes saving the day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we learn... Because they, the reason that they're getting on those bikes is because, of course, they've put it all together. A warrior, you know, Hoos is a warrior. And so for him, he's going to want to kill the war like the warrior the slayer, who is the slayer Buffy in some position of power so Scooby's on bikes this is really fun I really like this I like them on bikes right racing up to the house and then I want to just point something out I never see anything I always read like flubs or like oh you could see this in the scene or like hmm. this in the shot I never see it I saw it what you this see? Scene. What'd you so see? So when we go back to the siege, which first of all, a- Angel calls <laughs> Giles, and Giles is like, "That was just somebody." Like everybody, Someone, yeah. everyone needs to get better at lying. But there's a the scene where all of the Shumash spirits are jumping through the glass, you know, and it's like this this glass breaks and this glass breaks, and I think it's 
it's like two Shumash spirits after Hoos comes in. You can see like eight sets of hands holding the wall while the person jumps oh, through my God. the window. And so I was really excited because I saw, I didn't, nobody even told me. I just saw it. I like wow. rewound it and was like, I think I just saw a bunch of hands. Congratulations. Yeah. So go back if you want to see that. Uh, you're welcome that I have the eyes of a tiger. The eye of the tiger. It's the... Cats have good vision, don't they? No? Okay. So, <laughs> so, uh, so the Scoobies roll back up, and uh, they're trying to help out. Mm-hmm. Fighting uh, these dudes that yeah, are, will, that not, will die not die because of, they are spirit-based, yes. we presume. Um, also, doesn't Giles have neighbors? There is like a full-fledged right, no. rock'em, sock'em. But they're in Sunnydale. Yeah. Oh, Just that's another true. day. Everyone's like, oh, stay indoors. I hear right. a supernatural rumble outside. I'm telling you, the best business to be in in Sunnydale is glass replacement. Those yeah, totally. Are, are making so much money replacing windows. Yeah, constantly. yeah. Uh, there's a great moment where Angel comes over and and like snaps the neck of one of the spirits, and Anya looks at <laughs> is it Willow and is like, "What is he like when he is evil?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Giles, I believe, maybe gets knocked out. I mean, dude, he's getting his head smashed against the wall so repeatedly. Are we counting it as a knockout? We I don't, don't see him knocked out, so yeah. I don't think we can count it. Uh, and then we get this contrast of Spike coming out of this monologue that you know he's delivered this so eloquently, whatever, and then he just is like. A bear. A bear! You made a bear! I didn't mean to. Undo it! Undo it! Just scared shitless of this bear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is really funny, because why would he be scared of the bear? The bear, like, what's the bear going to do to him? The bear can't stake him or set him yeah, on fire. Maybe he's just got deep root. Like, maybe that's some of the humanity that's left inside uh, of him. Maybe Spike, bear had a, fear. A Spike had a run in with a bear before he got si- sired. Could be. Um. So also, if the bear bites his entire head off, decapitation is a. Oh, right. That's right. Somebody got decapitated with a symbol back in season one. I remember mm. that because it's a lyric. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. Um, so we got Xander uh, throwing dinner rolls at the bear. Yes, which is great. really, really great. Um, and then Buffy realizes that the the knife, the Shumash knife, is the thing that can hurt Hoos. Right. Um, and she kills him. And, and we're supposed to be like, hooray? Well, uh, right. And... and that's the thing is that this is where the episode takes a turn that is hard to to stay on board with because we've had this conflict we've been set up with this conflict white guilt and you know the extermination of a race and blah 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 and then the end result is kind of just like well we have to do this thing it's and kill or be killed it's kill or be killed so we have to do this thing and there's not like not that it would have been like the perfect episode if it had taken a turn after this and it was like they they brought to light the the Shumash people and like what actually happened to them and like the cultural center like redid their exhibit and like whatever. But like that could have been like one way that, yeah, we're not going to fix it, but at least we're not just going to like repeat leave it. Leave it right here, yeah. And 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 leave it there. And, and maybe there was some like subtlety that was trying but I just and we've talked about this in this podcast before like this is not the place for subtle writing because you're not gonna have the majority of your audience watch this and pick up anything from it but like oh okay 
And then they all had Thanksgiving dinner. Like, and then it was fine. Like, I, I just... <laughs> and Xander Syphilis is clearing right up. Yeah. Yeah. And they do, like, a little unpacking of, like, everything that happened. Right. But Willow says she's, like, disappointed in herself because, like, just a few minutes of conflict. And, and she, she and she wanted or aimed to kill. Right, right, right. Right. And, and Giles, to be fair, I mean, I do understand Giles' point of, like, well, you were in conflict. And when your body is in conflict, it's fight or flight. You're not, like, right, really reasoning right. through your politics at that moment, which is... Which which is a fair point, but it ends on this comedy beat. And I like I I'm here for the comedy beat if it wasn't for I the wish we could have had something a little more substantial before the comedy beat. Yes, something, something. And we didn't. And that's that's, I think, why this episode is as controversial as it is. Uh, it doesn't if it if it intended to unpack something i i do i do not feel that it really did i mean like we said at the beginning it's not an episode of friends where we're all just having turkey like it did call out the fact that like this holiday is connected to uh literally us coming here and just t- taking over an entire culture and being like hey fuck off you can have a casino and we're going to eat turkey to celebrate and that's really fucked up and so that like i want to give the episode and the writing and and the the intentionality Right. I do. In a lot of the work that I do, I talk about the the difference between intention and impact. Mm. And I think some of the intentionality here was to bring light to something that I think deserves to have a lot of light brought to it. You know, there's still people out there that think Christopher Columbus was a great guy. And, you know, it's important that we bring to light that that is not the case at all. But you don't get points if you run the football to the middle of the field. You have to get yes, it all the way to the end zone. You have to get it all the way to the end zone. And so I think that we both wish and I think probably uh, anybody listening to this wishes that this had been carried a little bit farther. Also, nice football Just metaphor football on your analogy for Thanksgiving. <laughs> no big deal. Just uh, tossing the old pigskin around. Uh-huh. But um, we do get, I do want to at least give a little nod to the fact that we made it through the whole episode with everybody keeping the secret that Angel wasn't there. Angel wasn't there. Angel wasn't there. And then Sander. It's like, yeah, it is like the gang's all together, especially with Angel being here. And we end with this class. I mean, this is like one of the most classic shots in the series of everybody. It's like Buffy's POV and everybody just looks at her like, and then the episode just ends like kind of deadpan. So I would like to encourage emails from you all on this episode. Um, Jenny and I try to be as responsible as we can when it comes to unpacking um, really big issues around race and sexism and all sorts of things. And this episode in particular, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we are two white ladies and uh, just waiting to be called in. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And so uh, we mentioned this at the top of the of the episode, but we will be doing a mailbag episode for everyone, a, a public, a free open source uh, <laughs> mailbag episode. And so, you know, we want you to write to us about a variety of things, but please write to us about your thoughts on this episode and also our handling of the discussion, because it would be great to sort of bring some more voices into the mix. Uh, as well. Buffering the vampire slayer at gmail.com is how you do that. So, Jenny, um, I think we should probably get a little sexy. Let's do it. Yes, yes, yes. The time has come once again to discuss any and all tensions of the sexual nature. <laughs> From our last episode, season four, episode seven, The Initiative, wow, we had a broad span. There was, uh, you know, abstract concepts. There was a mechanical item in the mix. There was a 
fantastical beast. Tell us who won. Yes, 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 yes. Well, Buffy and the Froyo machine were in fourth place okay. with 13%. Boo. Oh, I mean. Then in second place with 26% of the vote, we had uh, Gander, Jander, Jander, and a sense of purpose. Nice, nice. work, boys. In mm, mm. second place, 28% of the vote. Harmony and her unicorn Boo. poster. I'm sorry, Kristen. Boo. I'm sorry, Kristen. But I think you'll just be thrilled to hear that in very first place with 33% of the vote, we have Willow and the Death of Love. Okay, fine. But I, in my heart, Harmony and the Unicorn get it. And also, I want to say there were many, many write-ins for um, Giles and the Flare Gun. And mm, we apologize. A gross oversight. For our oversight Here there. at the Department of Sexual Tension, <laughs> we sincerely apologize yeah. for any and all inconvenience this has caused. Yes, we do. So um, let's get to this week's nominees, shall well, we? Well, well, well. There's one person who will definitely win. <laughs> Half of every nomination for this episode has one person in common, and that person is Anya. We've got Anya and Xander digging. We've got Anya and ritual sacrifice. We've got Anya and dying together. And we've got Anya and the word girlfriend. Ooh, that's a good one. How will you choose? I do not know, but please exercise uh, your right to vote in this beautiful democracy. We will have the poll up on Twitter for one week. We are at Buffering Cast and we want to hear from you. Thank you. Anya, congratulations on in your... In advance. In advance on your win. So here we are on the other side of sexual tension, and um, we hope that you enjoyed our discussion of pangs. We hope that we were responsible and did uh, did right by you all with this with this episode. Um, I'm, I'm glad that we had a chance to unpack some of it. Yeah, um, and I'm glad that it's over. <laughs> Good, now more than ever, gravy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm Jenny Owen Youngs. You are Jenny Owen Youngs. And when I'm not watching Buffy and making this podcast with Kristen, I am making songs. And you can learn more about me and uh, hear some of those songs at JennyOwenYoungs.com. And you can give me a shout on Twitter whenever you please at Jenny Owen Youngs. I am Kristen Russo. And when I'm not talking about Buffy and imperialism, I am trying to help LGBTQ people and their families. You can find more about me at kristinnoline.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-N-O-E-L-I-N-E. And that's also my Twitter and Instagram handles. And you should also check out My Kid is Gay, a resource that I run for parents and families and educators of LGBTQ people. It's really a great resource for anyone uh, to learn about these things. So go on over there. Check that stuff out. Buffering the Vampire Slayer is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at BufferingCast. And you can send us emails about anything, especially for our upcoming mailbag episode at uh, BufferingTheVampireSlayer at gmail.com. Hell yes. Also, you can support our work. Keep us chugging right along over here by going <laughs> iTunes. You like that? It's a Ch- funny joke. I, it just made me think of like chugging beer. I don't oh, know why. You can keep I'm, us chugging beer. Yeah, chugging uh, gravy. By uh, heading on over to iTunes and rating and reviewing the show. You can buy some sweet, sweet merch. We have a brand new fucking shirt. It's a fucking alewife sitting on the back of a demon. It says support your local alewife and it rules. And you should get it. Isabella Rotman designed it. The infamous designer of Smash the Demon Lizard Patriarchy uh, is back again bringing us an alewife shirt inspired by Beer Bad and Heather Hogan. Gift upon gift. Mm. 
So you can find that at bufferingthevampireslayer.com and going to store. You can also, of course, join us in our Patreon family. The Patreon link is also on that aforementioned website. And you can join us at the five, ten, or now $25 level. You can get exclusive merch. You can get the songs in advance. You can get a family which is what we all have over there. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, at the fifty dollar level, you get a family. <laughs> yeah. uh, but no, you you can join our family. I think it is a family over there. Um, yeah. Any level joins the secret Facebook group, and it's really a beautiful community, a beautiful family over here. Truly. Let's instead of howling like wolves, let's howl like coyotes this time. Coyotes, okay, yes, very uh, indistinguishable. Of, of who's. Okay, well, coyotes are like very high pitched. Oh, the, oh. Remember how creepy they are? Maybe let's kind just of. be wolves. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, everybody Google uh, coyotes howling. It's terrifying. Till next time. Uh, We have survived incredible odds. You must know that we are Sitting Bull's people. You must know who we are. We survived Wounded Knee, a massacre. We are survivors, we are fighters, and we are protectors of our land. So it's nothing for you to come and say, we want to do this, we want to be friends with you. It was very astute for you to go around the northern boundary of Standing Rock as we see it in modern times. Those are ancestral lands, 50 yards. 100 miles north is treaty territory. So you are bound by the laws of this country to adhere to those laws that are federal laws for the protection of our people. So we are not stupid people. We are not ignorant people. Do not underestimate the people of Standing Rock. We know what's going on. And we know what belongs to us. And we know what we have to keep for our children and our grandchildren. You mentioned no, nothing about the water. You don't want to infringe on native lands. But our water is our single last property that we have for our people. And water is life. Miniwichoni. You as a human being cannot drink oil. You need the water to survive. 75% of our body is water. We believe in the natural systems that we have. We have fought for that. We have sacrificed for it. And we're still waiting for the compensation for the building of the dams. We are still owed on the construction of those dams, 339 million. That's probably a drop in the bucket for your oil company. We are owners of 13% of the hydropower on that river. How do you separate it? How are you going to separate the oil from the water when it's contaminated? How are you going to do that? Only the creator can do that. Maybe in your high technology, you think you can. But this is our property. This is our homeland. And we are protected by statute. And we will do whatever we have to do to stop this pipeline, as we do 55 other pipelines proposed in North Dakota. 
Dakota, North Dakota, Myanmar Dakota, I'm Dakota. Dakota means friend and ally. This is Dakota territory. This is treaty territory. This is where you agreed not to come into my territory. We signed a treaty of peace that you would not come here. So we have put on our best. We will put our best warriors in the front. We are the vanguard. We are Hunkpapa Lakota. That means the horn of the buffalo. That's who we are. We are the protectors of our nation, of Ocheti Shakoi, the seven council fires. Know who we are. We will put forward our young people, our young lawyers, who understand the Weasel words now of the English language, who know that one word can mean seven things. We understand the forked tongue that our grandfathers talked about. We know about talking about both sides of your mouth, smiling with one side of your face. We know all the tricks of the Washichu world. Our young people have mastered it. I have mastered your language. I can speak eloquently in the English, English language my grandmother taught me. But I also know the genetic psyche. And I also have the collective memory of the damages that have occurred to my people. And I will never submit to any pipeline to go through my homeland. Mitakeyase. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.